Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must-read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Molecules of emotion, remote viewing, nootropics, miracles of mind, super learning, the physiology of trauma, PSI, morphogenic resonance, heart intelligence, theater of the mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness, theater of the mind podcast, brought to you by brainsync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance at brainsync.com. Expand your knowledge of the body mind connection and learn how to tap the other 90% of your unused potential. Hello and welcome back to Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. How about we start our show off today by going inside for a moment? It's okay if you're driving, you can keep your eyes open, of course. But just bring your awareness inside and think of something you're grateful for. It can be anything, something great. Something small, it doesn't matter. It can be the sunshine, it can be the rain. It can be the quality of light that surrounds you. It doesn't matter. It can be a small gesture of unexpected kindness or synchronicity. Take a deep breath and allow yourself to feel appreciation. Breathe in that feeling and say a little prayer of thanks. It could be a big prayer of thanks. A little prayer, it doesn't matter. Just feel appreciation for something right now. I'm feeling appreciation that we're here together and that we get to do this show and that I have this wonderful guest that I'm going to tell you about in a moment. Now doing this breathing in and feeling appreciation a few times a day will begin to build a big, beautiful gratitude groove in your brain that in time will become very natural and it leads to many amazing benefits. We've heard so much about the importance of gratitude. We know we should practice gratitude daily because it's so good for us. But why? What is it about gratitude that makes it such a game changer? Well, today we are going to find out. My guest, who I'm very grateful to have on this show, is Dr. Robert Emmons. His research has been featured in the New York Times, USA Today, Newsweek, Time, NPR, PBS, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and The Today Show, to name a few. He is basically the leading scientific expert on gratitude. He's a professor of psychology at UC Davis and the founding editor-in-chief of the Journal of Positive Psychology. His research focuses on the psychology of gratitude, joy, and grace. His books include Gratitude Works, 
a 21-day program for creating emotional prosperity. Thanks, How the New Science of Gratitude Can Make You Happier. And his new book, which I have with me right now, and I love, is called The Little Book of Gratitude. Dr. Emmons, welcome. So happy you're here today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you today, Kelly. How long have you been studying gratitude and what inspired you to focus on this specific area? It's very specialized. Well, it's hard to believe I've been doing this for almost 20 years. It doesn't seem that long. I mean, it seems just like yesterday. And when you say 20 years, that sounds, on the one hand, kind of impressive. It's like, wow, we must have learned a whole lot. On the other hand, it's like, gosh, we should know a lot more after all. It's been 20 years, you know. Sometimes I think it's better to say I've been doing this for two weeks, and then it sounds all the more <laughs> impressive, I'll tell you. Uh, really, what happened was that uh, I was asked, to study this topic, it really was an assignment. Uh, it's just amazing how how circumstances work out sometimes uh, when you least expect it. Um, people came along that were putting together this conference, and and they wanted to include someone who could present the science of gratefulness, of gratitude. What have we learned about this emotion, this essential human quality? And they had no one to do this because there had been no research on it. Very, very little. Uh, in the history of psychology, which, you know, goes back over 100 years. And so they couldn't find anyone, and so they came to me because they had known I had done research on happiness, and I thought, well, happiness, gratitude, they're kind of similar, right? They're kind of connected. So why don't we ask Professor Emmons if he will come and uh, be our local resident expert. And it was an easy choice, an easy decision for me, because I didn't need to do that much work because there wasn't any research to to review. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) I just grabbed that. It was the best assignment that ever came my way. This might be a little silly question, but I just had this kind of just kind of came up in my brain while you were talking. Is gratitude an emotion? Is it classified as an emotion in psychology now? Well, that's one way to see it. There are so many different concepts of gratitude, and they do mean different things. So probably the most common way that we think about it is an emotion. It's the the warm feeling of appreciation that you have when someone does something nice for you, when you are the recipient, the receiver of of kindness, of a favor, of a surprise. You see some good in your life and you realize that you didn't make this happen, that it was a gift given to you for your benefit. So certainly there's that warm feeling uh, of gratitude. So that's one way to look at it. We can also look at it in terms of a, a quality that people carry around inside of themselves, in which case it becomes an attitude or a trait. So there are grateful people and there are less grateful people. Mm. So really that's two conventional ways. It's an emotion, short-term, short-lived, but then more of a longer-term disposition that we carry around inside of us. Like a state of being. Yes. Disposition, I like that word for it. Do you think that practicing gratitude leads to more grace, ease, and synchronicity in life? If you do, why? Well, we know that when we're focusing on the good, it opens us up to more possibilities. We start to see the good. We start to notice things that really were there all along, but maybe we just didn't notice. We, we took for granted because we never stopped and really examined those and, and took a close look at them. And so that in and of itself brings peace. That brings contentment. There's a great quote out there. Well, there's so many great quotes that I could share with you, but one of them is that, you know, we're only one one grateful thought away from peace of heart. Mm. We often think about peace of mind as Mm. this mental knowing, Mm. but heart implies the emotional uh, conception of gratitude. So contentment, uh, peace, uh, joy, it, it just comes from this way of looking at life, seeing life as a gift. And you know, that's how I think about gratitude. It's, it's fundamentally and foundationally a way of seeing. It's, it's a way of seeing that alters our gaze. So it alters our perception, and as our perception changes, then we attract more of what we're seeing. It builds on itself. It builds, and so we begin to notice more and more, and we know when people begin to practice gratitude. Some, some individuals just are challenged by circumstances or by their personal history or by temperament, and they say, you know, uh, I, I want to change. I, I'm dissatisfied with being dissatisfied all the time. What can I do that will help me think more positively? 
And so uh, we suggest that gratitude is a, is a good practice because it's very grounded in the present. You, it helps you become very specific and very concrete about the ways in which you're supported by other people. It's, it's not diffuse, you know, like trying to become happier or trying to become more hopeful or optimistic. Sometimes those are just wishful thinking, but gratitude is very specific. So we find that virtually anyone can practice it and can start right where they're at at any one moment. What are the main benefits of feeling gratitude and appreciation? Mm, well, there's so many. Basically, so far, every, every category of experience that's been examined has shown to be affected by gratefulness. So psychologically, people feel more alive, more alert, more enthusiastic uh, when they're practicing gratitude. They're just more attentive. They just notice, again, things which they maybe hadn't noticed before. So that's a great feeling, right? just to feel locked in like that and connected as we look for and notice and take in the goodness. Uh, relationally, that's probably the biggest domain. So relationships matter, and they are affected and deepened and strengthened by gratefulness. I think that's really the key, why gratitude works and does what it does, because it takes us outside of ourselves. We start to connect with other people and connect with a larger context outside of us, and that in and of itself is very beneficial. And then there's a whole list, a whole slew of medical or health benefits of gratitude, ranging from just sleeping better to uh, being less tired to being bothered less by everyday aches and pains. And then all of the real biological changes that occur include things like lower blood pressure, healthier cholesterol levels, and the list is growing almost on a daily basis of the ways in which gratitude benefits us. You know, you say that uh, gratitude can help block negative emotions. In a way, it can inoculate us from emotions such as envy, regret, or resentment. How does that work? Yeah, so um, I have this model where I talk about the arc of gratitude, why gratitude works. And the the R in the arc just stands for this rescuing us from negativity. You know, our our minds tend to hijack every in each opportunity for happiness. And so it seems that negativity and entitlement and resentfulness and forgetfulness are just so much easier than, than, you know, focusing on the good, on compliment, on pleasure and so forth. And when we turn on the news and all we hear are you know, complaints and negativity and gloom and doom, we, we, need, we need a process. We need a mechanism to offset that. And I think that's gratitude. Gratitude has this ability to counteract the negative because it helps us focus on the ways in which our life is going well, the ways in which we're supported by other people. It doesn't mean our life is perfect. It certainly doesn't it doesn't imply one should deny the negative or ignore the adversity, but it gives us a perspective by which to view the negativity and the adversity in the context of everything else going on in our lives. Do you think it gives you kind of like a, a thicker skin in a way, so it protects you? Some people are so sensitive, they get exposed to more negativity or the, the same negativity that we all get exposed to just from the media, and it affects them more deeply. It upsets them. I see people right. walking around getting upset from something they saw in the news, which could be true, could be not true. We don't know. It's exaggerated, that's for sure. And and some no. people can just let it roll off their backs, and other people just take it in too deeply, and it affects their whole day. Take it to heart. It's really what we notice, what we pay attention to. You know, the, the quality of our lives is determined by what we let into our minds. And uh, you know, everyone is familiar with, with the term or the condition of paranoia, where you expect other people are plotting against you or conspiring against you, that circumstances are all against you. Well, grateful people actually show an opposite condition known as pronoia, where you expect good things to happen. You expect people are conspiring on your behalf Ooh, I instead like of against you. It's really cool. So uh, that's just the, you know, and circumstances could be exactly the same for these two people but one chooses to notice ways in which they're supported and benefited and sustained by others, by the universe, uh, by God, and so on. And others, you know, look for the ways in which they're being conspired against. And that determines really the quality of our inner lives. So pro-noia, I've never heard that phrase before. Is that a character trait in psychology or something <laughs> you made be. up? <laughs> No, I make it up. It's been around for a couple of decades. It oh. doesn't get much attention. No. Of course. It's important, um, though. <laughs> that's right. 
especially now because so many people are paranoid. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of like optimism, I would say. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a little catchier because it's just the, the total opposite of paranoia. <laughs> and, um, you know, can we sustain that given the fact that, you know, a lot of things happen to us and don't always seem to be for our good or in our favor. And I think that's why it's really important to be able to craft and cultivate an attitude of gratefulness despite what's happening to us, despite what's going on in our life. You know, nobody chooses to become sick. Nobody chooses to lose someone close to them or to lose their job or to have a health crisis. But we can always look for the opportunity in that situation. And, you know, the pronoids, uh, as such, <laughs> have, have cultivated this ability to look for the good in the situation or look at least for the opportunity to construct something potentially useful out of something potentially very harmful. I love that. Well, I want to know what your, in your research and your personal experience, what your favorite gratitude practices are, because it is something that doesn't seem to come naturally to everybody. And there are times in our lives when things are so difficult, it's hard to feel grateful. Yep. So actually, I find that um, in the context where I was just talking about, sort of in the, in the face of a, of a problem or difficulty or um, adversity, I kind of have this set point, this recheck this, you know, kind of reset button, I say to myself, okay, how can I look at the possible benefits in this situation? Because, I mean, let's face it, right, there's, every day is suffering, right? I mean, the Buddha is known for saying that life is suffering. So every day, whether it's big stuff or little stuff, whether it's catastrophes or the slow drip of everyday negativity, you know, our plans don't work out, uh, people don't approve of us, we get rejected one way or another, uh, we have relational issues and financial and so forth. And, and the question becomes, you know, how do we handle that stuff? And, and so uh, each time that happens, if I'm waiting in line somewhere, I say, okay, what can I do now to benefit from this situation? Or is there an opportunity here in this situation? You know, can I get something done even though uh, I'm hassled by this particular context? So I try to translate that you know, that adversity into some sort of opportunity. I'm not saying I always do it well or 100% of the time, but that, that almost becomes a trigger for me. So what I think people need to do is find that trigger. You know, what is it in their everyday life? And to the degree to which you can incorporate that into your everyday life and, and habits and patterns, it becomes more powerful because then it becomes much more, uh, you know, something automatic. It doesn't have to be set aside and done separately. So a degree to which it could be integrated or uh, smoothly transitioned into everyday life, that becomes the best practice for gratitude. You have a couple of great YouTube videos that I looked at, and you say that positive emotions are short-lived and that, mm. our, and that our emotional systems crave newness. I love newness. I, I'm a newness junkie. How does gratitude help keep things fresh, alive, mm -hmm. positive? How does that work? Right. So, when, so, I mean, another meaning for the term gratitude is appreciation. For many people, the two terms are interchangeable or synonymous. When we're, when we're grateful for something, we, we appreciate it. And to appreciate something is simply to acknowledge the value of it. Of a, of a thing, of a person, of a relationship, of a circumstance, of an event. And so when we appreciate it, we, we look at it in a different way. We look at it in a way in which it increases its value. It becomes newer uh, to us, and that enables us to, to get more pleasure out of it. The newness, as you say, really juices the joy in a relationship, in an event, in an experience, in an object. And so uh, it becomes a way of, of gathering and gaining and sustaining more intense feelings of, of happiness toward that part of our lives that we otherwise would, would get worn out very quickly, right? The, mm -hmm. new, the new job, the new car, the new home, whatever it is, we start to notice problems with it right away. We tend to adapt to what the psychologists call habituate to situations. So if we can find new parts to these things, maybe find things that are surprising or unexpected in our lives on a daily basis, and let's say you keep a journal of what you're grateful for. Many people like to gratitude uh, in, in a journal. I say, well, try to write about something different each day. Or what you write about, write about it in depth. Depth is more important. So you find more and more elements that you can meditate on for each thing in your life. 
that's a way of sustaining or um, lengthening the newness or novelty of an experience, and you get more gratitude that way. How much do people have to practice gratitude in a day before they start seeing results? And I have a few more questions about this, but I'll just give you one at a time. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, I think there's, there's a good uh, analogy with, with physical exercise or, or making a change in our diet. We, we don't start to see the, the results immediately, right? There's a delay. Uh, it has to be systematically and intentionally practiced for some. You know, I can't say exactly. You know, it's going to be two days or It'll, it's three different days, for three weeks. It, yeah. it may vary for for different people, right? But we know the extent to which it can be incorporated systematically and regularly. You're going to start to reap the benefits, and it doesn't take that long. Uh, much like physical exercise or changes in diet, you know, you feel the change pretty quickly. Uh, the 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 key is to sustain it over time. Because if you stop eating healthy or you stop to exercise physically, you know, you start to go back to where you were before, and it's the same with a gratitude practice. So you have to make it a habit. It becomes a daily practice, and you just have to groove it into your brain. Yes, exactly. That's correct. It's got to be, uh, I like to say, it's got to be in- intentionally and intentionally implemented, mm-hmm. which, is a, which is a jargonist way of saying just do it. Okay, so what about if it doesn't come so easily? You've just suffered a horrible experience and you're not grateful. Right. People do try hard to manufacture gratefulness, but if it's not authentic, does it work? Is there any point well, in know, faking it? Well, in the context of, of a loss or a difficult time, sure. I mean, you may need to achieve a little distance from that first. Uh, we know that you know there's ways to reframe it that don't deny it. We, we have to, you know, it's important to point out that gratitude as a strategy for handling hurt feelings doesn't mean we should try to ignore or deny the suffering and pain. You know, we, we have to acknowledge the disappointments, frustrations, losses, and so on. But then we get to the point of saying, okay, well, now what? Right? What is this opportunity? How can I recast this loss into potential gain? How can I recast the negativity into positive channels? for gratitude. And that might take some time, right? That might not happen overnight. It could take weeks. It could take months. Sometimes it could take years, depending upon the magnitude of the loss. But, but, but knowing that that possibility exists, I think, is what gives us the hope to get through that, that dark night. In fact, we actually ask people to, to remember something really bad that's happened to you and look at yourself where you are now. And how have you grown because of that event? It's a very powerful way to create gratitude in the moment. Do you work directly with people with depression on this issue ever? Well, I'm more of a researcher and writer and speaker than, than a clinical uh, counseling psychologist. Most of my counseling is really at the level of college students, and certainly they do come in and, and, and want to talk about you know emotional uh, topics and uh, depression, anxiety, relational distress, those sorts of everyday kind of garden variety sort of uh, conditions that I see in the, in the people that I work with. Your research shows that gratitude helps episodes of depression? There's, a, there's actually a quite a bit of research that I haven't conducted personally, but I know that's been published that does show, in fact, that gratitude as a strategy when people start to frame events using the language of gratefulness, they do actually have shorter episodes of depression. Even these are people who are at risk for depression, maybe they have previous episodes of depression, they have fewer future episodes. Uh, each episode is shorter. And so gratitude, at least for you know, mild to moderate depressions, I acknowledge that some depressions may be biochemical in origin, and there you're going to need some biochemical treatments. But even in those cases, gratitude as an aspect of restructuring one's experience, kind of like cognitive therapy, uh, can be really effective in preventing future episodes of depression. In your research, what do you say to somebody who's depressed and gratitude is the last thing that they feel? Well, we might start with something a little bit more basic. Instead of talking about using the language of gratitude or thanksgiving, we might talk about uh, have them focus on what went well during the day. There's mm. an exercise out that's been published called the, the, three, the three good things exercise. You know, right. What are three good things that happened today or less, maybe one or two good things that happened? And really focus on those. Right. My friend uh, 
brother David Stein Larast is the, the world's foremost teacher on gratitude, and he suggests a basic three-step gratefulness practice. It's very simple. It's called the stop, look, go technique. And stop is just becoming present, becoming awake, aware, receptive. Looking is noticing, observing, having experience. And then go is doing something about it. So, and it's a very simple experience. You could do even with, when you're depressed. Okay, well, let's stop. Let's take a look at my experience. Well, I don't want to stay there, though. I, I don't want to stew in that too long because that only will exacerbate the depression. Uh, I want to then, you know, take a look. What are the good things that are happening? What is life offering right now? And then I want to go, I want to write this down or tell someone about it, focus on it, and that becomes more behavioral. So the stop, look, go is a very basic practice that could be used in any, you know, almost on any situation or in any circumstance, whether we're depressed or not. I like that one. Do you have any more tricks in, in your bag there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just simple things that people, it's like bench presses or something, you know, it's like we need to work at it a little bit. Maybe at the end of the day, review the good things that happened that day. Or... It could be the end of the day. It could be the beginning of the day. You know, there's, you know, one size does not fit all. I, I found that out early on in the research is that people want to know, okay, well, tell me, you know, you're the expert. What works? Give me the five best practices. I want them right now. I really do. Ten tips, seven (laughs) secrets, gratitude in three hours, 30 days, and so on. Saying, you know, I understand that. It makes a lot of sense. We want to be told what to do. And then if we we do these things, it's going to guarantee that we're going to be happier, right? It's going to guarantee there will be less stress, less anxious, less depressed. Our relationships will go better. People will like us. We'll get that raise at work and so on. But it doesn't work that way. You know, it's, it, it's not a list of things to do. It's not a, what I call checklist gratitude is not the best way to increase one's level of gratefulness. For me, it's just, I just stop. I like to stop, look, go because it's so simple. So, okay, let me stop. Let me look at the ways in which other people or circumstances are supporting me, people doing things for me I could never do for myself. And acknowledging that, it's turning my mind to the ways in which I'm supported by others. And we all have that, right? I mean, just, we don't even see these people that are behind the scenes that are ensuring our safety, you know, our public safety, or people working on our behalf to make sure that we have clean drinking water, or every other convenience that we have in life. And so when we start to look at life that way and all these details, Life becomes so much more you know, rich and textured. How can you not be grateful at that level of experience? Mm-hmm. In your book, The Little Book of Gratitude, which I love, and I want everybody to know it's available on Amazon, and uh, it's a perfect stocking stuffer. But uh, you've got a lot of great activities in here. Oh, yeah. The one that shifted me was the media. You say in your book that it robs us of our joy. All that doom and negativity, it just seems to be coming right. from us everywhere. So, That's right. Yeah, so I've just kind of blocked myself from the media. You have to. I mean, you want to be in, in contact, of course, uh, but you know, what we let into our minds determines the quality of our lives. And so, so important. You know, one of my favorite ones are, is the flow of gifts. I don't know if you'd came across that one, but, you know, it's a really nice meditation. Share that with us. think about, you know, receiving a gift, right? It's like a daily meditation that I recommend people do. You know, think about these goods in your life as gifts. I mean, who doesn't like a gift, right? All goods look better when they look like gifts. And so, um, but don't just hold on to that gift. The idea is not that we, that we hoard these gifts that we've been given, but we give them away and somehow we give them, we give back the goodness to others. Uh, whether, you know, you have a particular talent or skill or ability, how can you use that to help other people? So we receive goodness from others, but we need to give back that goodness as well. The, the gratitude doesn't become complete until it becomes the giving of thanks. You see, when, when gratitude transitions into thanksgiving, I think that's when it becomes very very, very powerful because we're not really, you know, the final destination in the flow of these gifts. We find ourselves midstream, as one person said. Good things flow to us, but they also flow from us to others. So we can be receivers, but also givers at the same time. And that's a really beautiful thing when gratitude transitions into giving. Mm. Yep. The beautiful feedback loop. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And that helps us from becoming too dependent upon others, too, which, which can be very unpleasant. You know, people don't want to be receivers because they don't want to be receiving all the time. They, they feel less uh, active or become more passive. Mm-hmm. It's like you're always receiving. It feels good to give, right? Doesn't it feel better to give a gift than receive a gift? It is for me. I'd much Absolutely. rather see someone open a gift. I feel uh, embarrassed sometimes when I get a gift from others. I know. I'm ter- but, I, when I give gifts, I'm like, open it, open it. Yeah. <laughs> don't you want it? Don't you love it? Yeah, years ago, I, I, I got just this perfect gift for my wife, and she was totally surprised by it. I mean, she gave me some hints, of course, right? But I worked really hard to get this perfect gift, and, and I, she was, so, it was just like a little child on Christmas morning. The way she screamed when she opened it up, you know, it was really beautiful uh, to see that joy in, in her, you know, face and in her behavior when she got this. So, again, surprise is a good. Just take into account what the person's needs are. Mm-hmm. When you... When you give a gift, you're showing that, you know, you've made their concern your concern. And that's why we love to get appreciation. We love to get expressions of gratitude. And so surprises. And, receiving, and we love happy surprises as well. Yeah. Do you have a website? Uh, I do. Uh, well, the, the best website for my gratitude uh, information is Gratitude Works through Facebook. So uh, if you go to Gratitude Works on Facebook... You'll see information. So I'll post new studies on gratitude, links to research studies, uh, many of which are done by people outside of me. You know, when I began this research, there's like three of us in the world who study gratitude. Now there's a, there's a few more. So I love to share what other people are doing in the science of gratitude. I also post information, inspirational quotes, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then I, people can also access my work through the University of California Davis uh, system. So just you can just Google Robert Emmons and you'll come across me at the, the Department of Psychology. Okay, I'm going to ask you one question. I hope I hope you don't think I'm weird, but because you're a, a researcher and yep. more in the scientific realms, mm-hmm. um, what do you think about gratitude and the law of attraction? Mm, mm-hmm. Well, I think there is a law. I think gratitude is a law. I think it is mm. the fact that when you when you notice the good, you become more receptive to it. Um, you'll start to experience more good. More good will be attracted to you. People will be attracted to you, right? I mean, who would you rather hang out with, ingrates or grateful people who are expressive and appreciative, right? I mean, I think that's a, a fundamental law of human behavior, that when we look for, notice, take in the good, and give back that good, we can't help but attract more good into our lives. Now, I don't know how to quantify that as as a law of attraction, but I do believe there are spiritual laws uh, of the universe, and I think all the research on gratitude is supportive of that. You know, that's really the beautiful thing, Kelly, about gratitude, is that the ideas have been around for a long time. It's not new. You know, gratitude is not a fad. It's not the latest hot topic. It's ancient. It's not trendy. It's not fashionable. But it's ancient. It goes back centuries, and we can shine a light on the truths of the past through modern scientific methods, and that's what's re- what I really love about gratitude. Well, and I, I remember when I was in Bali, I was so impressed because everywhere you went outside in the morning, there were offerings of flowers and incense and little fruits, and um, gratitude is a spiritual offering. And it's universally experienced and expressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's uh, I call it the universal currency, uh, that we can never go broke by spending. It's in every culture. And there culture. are expressions of gratitude all around the world, and they have been from the beginning of time. I think it says something very fundamental about human nature. Well, maybe this will be your next book, The Ten Laws of Gratitude. <laughs> That's the idea. I'll write that down right now. Well, it's been wonderful speaking with you. I really enjoyed it. Once again, everybody, we've been speaking with Dr. Robert A. Emmons, E-M-M-O-N-S, and his new book, The Little Book of Gratitude, Create a Life of Happiness and Well-Being by Giving Thanks. Great little present for people. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be well and be grateful. You have been listening to Theater of the Mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness. Visit Theater of the Mind online at www.kellyhowell.com. Leave comments, questions, and feedback and join the conversation about consciousness. We want to know what you're thinking. Theater of the Mind podcast is brought to you by BrainSync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance. 
find them at www.brainsync.com. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Back to Theater of the Mind, your host, Kelly Howell. I'm excited today because we're going to explore one of my favorite subjects, consciousness. We've all heard people talk about states of oneness, wholeness, unity, and non-duality. But what exactly do those words mean? They're states of being and awareness, but what kind of awareness? And we may have an intellectual understanding of what it means to feel connected to a higher power. But for most of us who don't live in a monastery, sustaining that beautiful feeling of unity, bliss, and knowing that you're deeply connected to everyone and everything is a challenge. My guest today is going to give us his perspective on how to experience more of our divine nature. Jonathan Harrison is author of Naked Being, Undressing Your Mind, Transforming Your Life. We are one, and you are this. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy you're here. (laughs) You have had so many remarkable spiritual experiences, which clearly compelled you to write these books. So um, before we get into the nature of reality, cosmic unity, and all that wonderful stuff, (laughs) could you give us a brief overview of your personal story and the events that led to your awakening? Yeah. uh, First of all, I'd like to say I think I'm in the process of awakening, and I think many people are, rather than anybody's necessarily awakened, but we'll get to that later on. Good Um, point. Okay. And for for me, uh, my story goes back... um, Uh, to childhood, but really uh, the main trigger as an adult was in 2007 when I'd been doing meditation and spiritual work for maybe a decade at that point. And um, it's a very bizarre thing, but we were driving along in the cars with my wife and we were driving along and I just said to her, I'm going to experience my mystical death. And it sounds a bit ridiculous because I had no idea what I was saying when I said it to her. Um, but a couple of weeks later, that's exactly what happened. Um, I was We were sat at home one evening and uh, it was kind of late. The kids, we, our kids were a bit younger then. They were tucked up in bed. And I, um, I got up and I collapsed on the floor and I got myself up again, made my way to the bathroom and then smashed against the wall and um, I started to leave my body. I think that's the best way to put it. And of course, that's a big fundamental change for anybody's consciousness. Um, And my wife ran over and and held me while I actually left my body. And um, I didn't go anywhere particularly exciting or meet any fantastic spirits or angels or anything like that, but I left my body. And I was able to see that my body was a vessel. My body was a, was a unit for living on, in this world. And that consciousness, the mind and consciousness and all these kind of words had far more meaning than um, we assume that they do. Um, in, in the respect that when I left my body, I initially panicked, um, as you probably would do. <laughs> Now, wait a second. Just explain a little bit more okay. to me. You use the term mystical death, which I love, yeah. but I don't really understand it. <laughs> and then that you were panicking while you were leaving your body yes, or before? that's exactly it. I, As I was leaving my body and um, I had this thought or mind feeling, should we say, that this isn't normal and it's not right, you know, like a little panic attack. But within seconds, that panic attack shifted and dropped away. And I felt like really amazing. I felt so good, in fact, that I thought, I want to stay here. (laughs) You had an out-of-body experience. uh, Yes, for sure. Yes, you can call it that. (laughs) (laughs) 
pretty exciting, right? It was pretty exciting because it made it very clear to me that um, there were different dimensions, shall we say, um, and it and it, and it sort of furthered my own discovery and development of wanting to know more about it because there were you know no alcohol, no drugs, no synthetic um, things involved. Substances, yeah, yeah. It was it was really just a pure intention of finding the truth. And uh, that's how it happened for me. That's the lesson I needed to have to learn about who I am, what I am, and what we all are. Now, is that the experience that inspired you to begin writing all these books? Well, yeah, because the uh, that evening I sat up with my wife because she was very worried and thinking she should take me to hospital, and I explained to her <laughs> there was no... Are you okay? <laughs> it was kind of like that. And I said, yeah. I know that I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm okay. It's, you, I know I'm not going to die. And I kind of knew a lot of things, you know, without thinking about it, which was part of the... the um, process of coming out of it I knew things immediately there was an element of knowing a knowingness an intuition um a deeper knowing that's all I can say so um that with evening, no doubt right yeah with there was no, no doubt. doubt it was it was a doubtless mm. knowingness you know just a, just an absolute knowing and not based on I know more than you or I'm cleverer than you are just a pure wow that's true bang you know and um, so that night we kind of sat up till like three or four o'clock till my wife was really calmed down, actually. And I was kind of dropped through these kind of, I'm going to say dimensions of consciousness, which we can touch on later, and really came back into my body. But I came back into my body with that experience attached to me, of course. So it was like consciousness had stretched within me. And I saw you know, that I was my body and not my body and all these other things. And the next day, um, on that evening, I started to write. And within a week, I had finished a book. And that's what started me writing. So that's when I wrote We Are All One. And I wrote that and uh, I self-published that first book. And I sent it off and blah, blah, blah. And I won an award in, in the USA, which was really great. And that encouraged me to continue writing because it came from the higher dimensions of consciousness right well yeah whatever you want to say you know? uh, it, it just kind of came down from the heavens or yeah, however you want to say it the thing is this is already in each of us now that's the thing it's it's i used to think it was a separation a um there was something special in it but it's not really about special it's something very ordinary but incredibly powerful that we all have access to um and it's it's forging that access and dropping away the mind stilling the mind changing the frequency of the mind as i know there's the work that you've been involved in um to to it to really see at a deep level who and what we are mm. Well, okay, so let's get into the whole meat of this. You had your experience, and you you had the opportunity, the gift, the blessing, whatever word you want to use, um, the destiny to have this experience and then suddenly see. But it is a unique experience, and many people have had them, but not everyone. This doesn't, you know, it's not a normal occurrence, Sure, although when one looks at it, um, we each need different reminders and different experiences. Some people maybe just need um, to see something, smell something, and other people like me who are a bit stupid need to have a slap around the <laughs> face. You know, need to have a big lesson. You need to have a big lesson to mm -hmm. really believe. A catastrophe, too, or, yeah. you know, people who have car accidents well, or their exactly. life falls I mean, apart. You know, and I had, I, I've suffered illness myself in, the, in, in my life, and um, I now realize in a way that, that those illnesses were blessings or opportunities to learn more deeply who I am. Absolutely. And really, that's, that's why they, they occurred. 
Tell me about Naked Being. I didn't receive that book, but I love the title, and I'm getting this kind of Alan Watts Zen vibe. Are you a Zen? Do you practice Zen Buddhism? No, no, I'm a bit, oh, okay. I'm a bit of everything. And um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, well, I was getting this sort of Alan Watts vibe from yeah, it, but, no, but just read, the title. Yeah, yeah, no, I've read Alan Watts, but really, the book that book came about after that, that was my second book, and that came about as I sort of continued my studies if you like and my life experience and wanted to go deeper and make things simpler and understand things and share things in a very clear way so I looked at the mind and what was the mind and my understanding of the mind as best I could and how I'd got to the point where there was no mind if you like or the mind was pure transparent crystalline and not full of thought so that intrigued me. So I wanted to put together, uh, rather than a big sort of intellectual book, just little paragraphs, little from you know one line to eight lines kind of thing, little paragraphs to encourage people to delve deeper into their consciousness and to find the blessing of who they are. For me, meditation is a way, obviously, to undress the mind because you sit there and you observe your thoughts and you can see that you're not your thoughts. But how? what are some other ways that one can undress the mind? Well, read the book. <laughs> I was going to say, just these are... What, what just I did a little. Well, what just I, a little. What I did in the book was just strip through all these ideas and concepts that we have in the mind. So we go through things like what's karma, what's life and death, what's the mind, what you know, the divine aspect, God, all these kind of things. Because this is what we do in the journey, really, or the most effective way is to strip through all those layers and conditions and patterns that we have in our minds, that we've held onto or been given and entrusted or we've trusted those ideas as being absolutely true. And the shocking thing is maybe a lot of them aren't. So we have to relearn. It's an unlearning and an unknowing of of what we are. So I can't really go into great, give great advice about methodology, but the principle of it would be to empty one's mind to the point where literally there is no thought and there is just awareness. Well, it points to a section in your new book, You Are This, about letting go. Mm. How do you suggest that people let go and how did it impact your life? I started to rather than read too much material and listen too much to what anybody else had to say, it was very much an experiential thing for me. And then I would compare notes with other people or read other books, you know. So I I wanted to keep it very pure and very um, uh, individual, if you like, to understand the truth of it and not get carried away with other people's stories. So um, that's what I did. And, And the letting go became a natural consequence of shedding uh, all this kind of uh, disguise and all these concepts of who we are. So as soon as I discovered something, you know, those aha moments, whatever it was, I would, even though it was wonderful, I would know to let it go. So I would concentrate on then letting it go. Whatever it was, if you saw something incredible or you we're involved in healing or all these kind of uh, phenomena, I call them, um, to learn to not identify with them and say, oh, well, I'm a healer because, you know, I really do believe everybody's a healer. Or I'm a clairvoyant. I believe everybody's a clairvoyant. I'm a medium. Uh, I believe everybody's capable of being a medium. So to not identify, that was the important thing for me to not say, oh, so I'm that then, this is what I am, you know, because I'd have been so many different things, it had been very confusing. (laughs) So I was given the... I know, and everybody's branding themselves now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who are you? You're, you know, an inspirational speaker, a thought leader, a motivational this or that, whatever. Yeah, I'm just me, and I'm just me, and uh, you're (laughs) you, and it's great. That's fine as it is. And, you know, this is what, what that does 
in terms of other people is encourage them to be themselves because that's eventually what happens as i explain in in you are this i think the process goes from this individual separate egoic mind to possibly a universal discovery of who we all are where um, there's a pure-minded state of consciousness and then there's a grounding of all that uh, and certainly from my experience and where one learns to listen to and evolve the manifesting life of your soul in the world and that's a completely different thing or that that's how i see it that so, was my next question yeah <laughs> okay yeah like what do you mean by you know actualizing the presence of your authentic soul yeah okay how do we do that okay well let's say um so the individual, just let me explain the principle uh, so we can, we can understand what we're talking about. The individual is, is a separate, um, sees itself as a separate ego, okay? Then if we go to the other extreme of that, beyond the ego, in, into non-ego and pure awareness, pure consciousness, no, no mind, as the, as the Zen Buddhists call it, then there is no person, no body, nothing, uh, and yet everything's there. And so there has to be a compromise or a convergence between these two poles of the mind to become a living presence. It's no good being just an individual cut off from everybody else, because that's the root of so many problems in the world today. And it's no good sitting there under a tree going, blah, 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 I'm one with God, because that's not actually helping normal or everyday people. So the convergence of the two aspects is the important thing. And that's the yin-yang, that's the Brahman-atman, that's the reality, that's the soul, that's the living presence, which if you learn to listen to and follow its guidance, you become closer and closer to that. That's why it's always an awakening. You're not awakened, you don't need to be awakened. It's an awakening. You're learning to be a soul walking the earth. And there's no greater gift than that because it's a sharing with, you, with yourself, through yourself, with other people. And the sharing aspect of it is the most important part. I think it's difficult too because there aren't real models that we have for this, for living in the world like this. I'm mean, sure we have you know, spiritual teachers and leaders and gurus, but just regular people. I mean, the idea of, of living your life as, you know, in the presence of your soul, how do you actualize it is, you know, I can understand intellectually, mm -hmm. but it's challenging. It's not something that just happens naturally. It takes practice and discipline and work, don't you think? I definitely think there's work involved, but I do think yeah. it happens naturally. So, Oh, good. Okay, I, I like it, that. I, I think it's a natural unfolding. I think okay. that if you start to listen or begin to listen to intuition, which I consider to be the voice of the soul, and you really don't listen to the voice of the ego, um, which says, I want this, I want that. Well, that's lesson one, right? Yeah. Compare, no, you know, knowing the difference between yeah. listening to your intuition and the ego yeah. is, yeah. Re really important part of it. And your inner wisdom, my inner wisdom, anybody's inner wisdom, that gives the right advice, that gives the right intuition. If we can learn to recognize that, then we'll be walking into this, what I call the heart stream of consciousness which is a soul-based thing. So it's not, again, it's not about me alone, and it's not about know me. It's not about awareness, I am awareness. It's not about I am. It's about all of that and more, and it's about being a human being on earth now and doing something about the mess that this world is in. And it's a natural process because you're connected to all the planet, everybody else, and there must be a way of, of making a contribution, and this is a stepping stone to that. You have great terms in your book, like heart stream of consciousness and megoic consciousness. Could you share what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Well, 
I think ego becomes such a complicated word because I wanted to explain that the ego, it's not about the death of the ego. It's about the purification of the ego. It's about not uh, identifying with the ego. Uh, egoism. It's the, so it's a very difficult word and it can get misunderstood because people are deliberately trying to have no ego. And then they end up being a bit pink and fluffy and not proactive in life and in the world sometimes. So I wanted to make clear that the ego was derived and interested only really in me. So that's why I called it the Mego, because it's about me. It's it's very me-orientated. It doesn't share very often. It's not compassionate and loving, and it's an animalistic base consciousness. Mm-hmm. So the idea of ego being Mego was... Uh, I love it. Just a little play on words, but just to remind people where that that is based. I think it's important to talk about the difference between duality and non-duality. And can you elaborate on that? Difference? Yeah, it's a huge subject, but I know, and I left it towards the end. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, there's a there's a there's a kind of understanding uh, with many people, and I've met thousands of people on their spiritual journey in the last ten years, um, to find something and hold on to it. Like we said about you know letting go is probably the best way to keep growing what we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And so people go from duality, from separation, from individuality, from ego, to what their mind thinks is non-duality or an experience of non-duality, um, an experience of oneness. And then they think that they've done it. Uh, so they hold on to that experience of oneness and say, well, that's it then. I just, you know, I just float around and uh, everything will be okay. And Again, what I'm trying to explain with the book is the soul, which is a universal individual or univigil, is somebody that has seen both sides, has seen the duality of the ego and the non-duality or the vision of oneness or the experience of pure awareness. And all those exist here and now as a mind-body-spirit being. So it's a very holistic approach to how we can introduce authentic change in action in the world today, which is so desperately needed. Oh, I have about 10 more questions now. But, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do it. but let, let's finish. Let's finish. And we'll maybe do another show. But let's finish with talking about purpose. Yeah, you believe and you have strong conviction that everyone has a purpose. Why? <sighs> because if one gets to know this consciousness I'm talking about, the soul, for want of a better word, there is a purpose to each and every soul. There's a purpose for you, I, and everyone being here now in the world. And that purpose is often not the one we desire the most or appear, or necessarily appearing in the fashion that we'd like it to. But nevertheless, there is a purpose and a a reason for you being here now in the world for all of us. And the only way I believe that we are going to manifest that reality is through letting go of all these different ideas, all these different concepts of ego, non-ego, like we said, duality, non-duality, letting go of all that and not holding on to any one thing and being present in the world today and the soul is is your best friend your best advisor it already knows what's going to happen and it's a completely uh, illogical um, state of consciousness but the most real for you and that's the shocking fact of it and that's how i see it oh thank you so much i'm really happy you came on the show what's your website uh, website is www.authorjmharrison.com. Once again, Jonathan's website is authorjmharrison.com. Go to his website, check out his books. Coming up next on Theatre of the Mind, we're going to explore the new 
Hypnosis, Solution-Oriented Hypnosis with Bill O'Hanlon, who studied directly with the master of hypnosis himself, Milton Erickson. Don't forget to download my app and leave a review. I don't like to push these things. I'm not in it to sell it. I just love meditation and helping people go into deeper states of consciousness. There's a wonderful meditation on there, which I think is one of my best, called Oneness. And you can set the time for 10, 20, or 30 minutes. So um, no more excuses. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be well. You have been listening to Theater of the Mind podcast, accelerating the evolution of human consciousness. Visit Theater of the Mind online at www.kellyhowell.com. Leave comments, questions, and feedback and join the conversation about consciousness. We want to know what you're thinking. Theater of the Mind podcast is brought to you by BrainSync.com. CDs and MP3 downloads for peak performance. Find them at www.brainsync.com.